Folks, remember, for all your tree service, well, you want to call Yankee Tree. Call them today, 401-439-6028. Yankee Tree Service, yankeetreeservice.com. What can they do? They do it all. Tree trimming. Experts based right in Lincoln. Tree removal since 2006 and also 24-7 emergency service available. Call Yankee Tree Service today, 439-6028. 439-6028. Whether it's tree removal, stump grinding, tree pruning, emergency service, bucket truck at service, and bobcat service. Since 2006, they've been performing tree removal service on top of that. Nothing stumps. Yankee Tree Service, they provide stump grinding. Enjoy your landscape without the eyesore. As far as pruning, well, let them get up there. Oftentimes a tree can be pruned instead of cutting it down. At Yankee Tree Service, their licensed arbiters help you decide what's best, the treatment plan for your tree. And maybe it's an emergency service. Did something come down? Call them today, 439 6028 439 6028 if they have to they get right up there in the bucket yankee tree service since 2006 tree trimming experts give them a call 439 6028 or online at yankeetreeservice.com folks you are listening to the john DePietro show weekdays we start at 11 we go until 2 it's am 1380 99.9 fm can always listen online at our website, topetro.com. Time for our legal segment. Joining me right now, he is one of Rhode Island's top attorneys. He is our legal expert, is attorney Tim Dodd. And Tim, we're getting uh, late news coming down that apparently ballads on Block Island, uh, you know, they hosted the Rugby Festival, big hearing the other night. They, on Block Island, said that they were going to suspend their liquor license and entertainment for the next two weeks. We are getting word that apparently that has been overturned and they are open for business with a, able to serve liquor and so forth for the remaining part of the season. Um, let's pick it up from there. It did seem like an overreach to suspend their liquor license. Yes. I, I, I think that's the appropriate outcome. I think the two-week suspension at the height of the tourist season, at the height of when all the island businesses are hoping to make some money to you know, tide them over for the long winters that they're off-season that they're about to come upon, I thought a two-week suspension was completely disproportionate. Um, I think the way the hearing was conducted over the six-hour period was not really calculated to learn lots of facts. Um, I know that the attorney for Ballard's was trying to question, um, you know, the um, interim police or the former police chief about certain things that were done, certain cops that were available, troopers that were brought over, security that was available. And uh, the council wouldn't, allow counsel to ask questions to develop a defense for what Ballard's did, why they did it, if it was sufficient, what they did that might've been negligent, what may not have been negligent. But, you know, I think, I think the entire Island was surprised and overwhelmed by the, um, by the response to this reggae festival. Um, it was clearly an overwhelming situation. It was overwhelming for Ballard's. It was overwhelming for the cops that were there. It was overwhelming for the, um, for the ferries that were trying to get people back to the mainland. Um, the two-week suspension was completely disproportionate. The hearing officer for DBR conducted a one-hour hearing. She kind of cut it off quickly. Um, but if her decision was to overrule the two-week suspension, I think that's entirely appropriate. I think some sanction is appropriate, but not the two-week suspension. That was just, I'm sure, good politics for this um, Block Island you know, council to really whack Ballard's because Ballard's has been getting a lot of negative coverage on this. But... Um, I think DBR stepped in and did the right thing here, John. I think what's interesting about this, uh, Tim Dodd, is, and some of the people testified that they were, the entire time they were there, they didn't hear any reggae music. So uh, I, I've interviewed, I'm going to have her on again. One of the people arrested, she was actually a promoter. 
she brought out a club DJs. I mean, I, I've spoken to people that were there. I think what they, they should try to hammer home on is if I say, hey, you know, tonight we're going to be having a, stri- a string quartet, and then I bring in a heavy metal act. Um, they may have said reggae festival, but apparently they had rap DJs from some of the Providence clubs who build a following. They get their fans to come over. I, I, I think that's the element of that I believe that they, they certainly people on the island, people upset have a right to question is, you know, exactly how when you say reggae festival, everyone thinks like a laid back Bob Marley thing that that was apparently not the music that was being played. And it certainly didn't attract the type of crowd that may go to kind of a, a laid back type of festival like that. And that's a fair point. And I mean, yeah. every every season, Ballard's is sort of the um, skunk at the lawn party, if yeah. you will. They always have allegations about over-serving and different yep. things. I'm certainly not accusing them. It's just reports that you hear about um, the conduct of employees as to who gets served, how much they get served. And every season, you seem to hear the same things. Um I know that counsel for um, Ballard's at the hearing before the council um, noted that in the last 16 years, Ballard's has had no infractions of any type. So mm-hmm. although we hear anecdotally that Ballard's every summer, there's all sorts of shenanigans over there. If the, if the attorney was giving accurate information in the last 16 years, no infractions, no citations, that's a pretty good track record. Yeah. Folks, again, we're speaking with our legal analyst, attorney Tim Dodd. Tim, staying uh, local, uh, this story, Gorbea defends using campaign tactic that watch corps basically say is unethical. So there's, there's a thing that they call it literally a red box. And you, you post it. The New York Times talked about this. Now, I think what really stands out as egregious is this is the Secretary of State, supposedly with the Board of Elections running elections. But so it's literally on her website where it says media. And it is actually a red box. And it's, it's basically saying, like, you who, if there was a group out there that wanted to help out our efforts, tax spending of some kind, this would basically be a good script. Um, that, other than unethical, it, it, what type of legal boundaries does this go over, Tim Dodd? Well, apparently the Gorbea campaign, as well as many other campaigns around the country, have taken advantage of this loophole, if you will. Um, Campaigns are not supposed to be in direct um, coordination with these super PACs. Um, So if you're a candidate running for governor and the XYZ National PAC wants to come into Rhode Island and run commercials for you, technically, technically, the campaign is not supposed to be in coordination with these groups. So if this group wants to come in and spend money, because let's assume you're on the side of a particular issue that they like, and they want to run ads for you and spend money for you, you say, thank you, but you're not supposed to be coordinating. So Gorbea is being outspent and she has been out financially. Other campaigns have raised more than hers. And I think she's having a difficult time keeping up financially so this red box, as you this pointed out, John, basically says, hey, if there's any groups out there and you want to help us out, this is what we need and this is what would be nice for you to say. So she can't be accused of directly coordinating with a super PAC because she's not. It's sort of this a general, hey, by the way, if you guys are out there and you want to help me, here's what I need and here's what you can do. The law allows it. It's slimy. Um, I don't know how much negative coverage she'll get out of it or how much people will really get what it is that she's doing. Um, I think you're right, John, in her position as the Secretary of State and in her possession as the person who's supposed to be overseeing um, the integrity (laughs) of elections, um, although it might be technically a legal loophole, it, it it really has a um, really the optics are horrible. Let's yeah. put it that way for her. Um, Common Cause I, National put out a statement against it. And I, I'm just predicting, Tim Dodd, before we take a break, I think this foreshadows that there's, there's going to be problems with this primary. Early voting has, is underway. 
I think that's way too early. The primary is coming up the 13th. We, we've seen in other states, in Pennsylvania, that Republican Senate primary, Dave McCormick, Kathy Barnett, Dr. Oz, that the recount went on for like three weeks. So September 13th, you have the November election coming up. I, I, I think that they're opening the door to a, a lot of potential problems with all these early mail ballot applications, early voting. Uh, I think it becomes like a just a, just a mess trying to determine what's actually valid, what's not valid. You're you're right, John, and you've been you've been taking this stance and repeating it for quite some time, and I think you're accurate to do so. When elections occur on a specific day, you know the results typically within 24 hours. Right. All of this early voting and the mail oh. ballots and all the drop boxes and all of this stuff, you could not know the results as in Pennsylvania for days or weeks or longer. Yeah. And it seems to me all of this, whether by design or um, an unfortunate confluence of facts, undermines confidence in election results. Yes, there's more time absolutely. for shenanigans. There's yep. more time to stuff the ballot box. Um, you know, whether or not Donald Trump ever had a fair point that the election was stolen, whether or not he ever had a valid point of fraud, um, whether that was true or whether that was false, and he really never produced the goods. But I think a lot of people out there in the various states are uncomfortable with what seems to be um, different groups, different factions um, attempting to manipulate influence or you know, have fraudulent votes. Look in Florida. They, they have a, a voter fraud task force that yes. I believe just arrested 20 people, yep. uh, which is a drop in the bucket. Um, I would presume there are more than those 20 people in Rhode Island, our, our vigorous, you know, investigators, I think, found two people that they charged. But you, I would assume there's more of it going yeah, on. 100%. And if we don't have trust in the integrity of our elections, and I'm yeah. sure there's certain elements of society that think that's a great thing, um, I think it's a bad thing. And I think yeah. that it's, it, it's one more thing that pulls at the fabric of society. And um, it's not a good trajectory. Folks, quick break. Much more ahead. Legal expert, attorney Tim Dodd, right here on the John DePietro Show. J. Perry Paving. Folks, you can depend on J. Perry Paving. They provide high-quality, fair-pricing, exceptional service. Over 20 years' experience specializing in commercial paving, residential paving, seal-coating patios, and much more. Call them today for a free quote, 401 732-1730. J. Perry Paving. They are tremendous. They also, how about this, once a month, they provide a free paved driveway to a veteran. And remember, whether it's a brand new paving project or just a cracked driveway that needs to be refreshed, call J. Perry Paving for a free quote. It makes a huge difference in your property, in your home, in your driveway or patio. 401-732-1730. J. Perry Paving, 401-732-1730. You can also find them on Facebook. They're terrific. Hey, get that driveway paved. Call and book an appointment now, 401-732-1730 for J. Perry Paving. We're speaking with our legal expert, it's attorney Tim Dodd. Tim, let's turn to President Trump. I want people listening to understand that we don't know good if we don't deal in reality. We don't do any good if we're not objective. Uh, I've been looking for something positive. This is week three now that we have not seen of him, not even an interview on Sean Hannity. And the latest developments um, between that letter that this John Solomon, who I actually know who he is and met him, I, I can't believe that this guy uh, released this letter that seemingly implicates the president, 700 documents. And then his two attorneys in court who are not even licensed to practice law in Florida. <laughs> and then the judge had to say, by the way, there's, there's an example of how you do this on the website. Now, listen, Tim Dodd, you know, President Trump did a lot of great things in office. He's got a lot of great ideas. But I, I don't think at this point right now anyone would accuse him of, of dealing and having uh, the top legal defenses that, that, that potentially could be available to him. No, there's several things going on that um, 
or, or really harming Donald Trump on a number of levels. Forget about his ability to run for president or the right. optics of it or his ability to raise money for a potential future campaign. He has filed a pleading in court asking that a special master be appointed to review the material that was taken in that um, raid uh, based upon a warrant. Right. Now, it's 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 three weeks, as you say. Yeah. It's The FBI has had a chance to look at everything, photocopy everything, analyze everything, segregate the stuff that they think is violative of, you know, the Espionage Act or... Um, other elements of the law. So what's the point now of yeah. having a special master? It seems too little too late. Um, when President Trump was the president, um, he listened to himself, I think, more than any advisors. Yeah. And over the course of his presidency, his instincts were pretty good. His instincts failed him miserably on January 6th. His instincts really failed him, and I think he got terrible advice when he was challenging the election results. Um, Horrible, you know, irredeemable. You can't take back all the things that were said. So now he's got this situation with the search warrant, and it seems like he's making things up. I don't want to say making things up, but flying by the seat of his pants, coming up yeah. with different stories, releasing different information, different theories. Um, it really seems amateurish. And I don't know who's coordinating his um, media or public relations offensive, but it's all over the place. His lawyers, as we said last time we spoke, seem to be out of their depth, for sure. Yeah. When, when you see a lawsuit... Mildly. When you see a lawsuit that's stylized Donald Trump versus United States of America, yeah. I mean, I saw that and had to, I laughed out loud. Yeah. If you're going to sue any governmental entity, if you wanted to sue the state of Rhode Island, you don't say, I'm suing the state of Rhode Island. You would say, you know, you're suing the state of Rhode Island by and through, yeah. you know, whatever department it is, right. and you would name the director of that department. So oh. if Donald Trump wanted to sue the FBI, if Donald Trump wanted to sue the Department of Justice, um, that would be articulated more specifically in the caption of a complaint. It, it's almost like they took a law student and said, here, knock out this complaint for us. Show us what you got. It, it's not the way it's done. It's just not. Um, and the fact that the judge had to scold the lawyer saying, you know, folks, you know, there's forms online that you could have done this correctly. Oh, my um, God. You know, it, I, Donald Tim Trump. Dodd, if you were in court, have you ever been in court where a judge was schooling another attorney in that way? I mean, it's it's not I mean, the judge was being obviously, you know, sensitive, maybe diplomatic, but that doesn't bode well if they're trying to instruct you. You may want to check the website where you can download an example of how to do that. <laughs> well, you never want to be the lawyer who's subject of a judge's wrath or scolding yeah. or, you know, basically trying to educate the lawyer like this right. is how it's done and what you've done here is incorrect. But mm. Donald Trump at certain times had pretty good legal counsel. I mean, I remember when he had Jay Sekulow. Now, yes. Sekulow is a different type of lawyer. Right. He's more of an appellate lawyer. He argues frequently in the Supreme Court. But I think he's a quality guy, and I think he yeah. gave Trump good representation. Um, there was an article in the Wall Street Journal saying, you know, it, it appears that top legal talent is shying away from um, oh. taking on Trump, either because they think the case is a loser or because if they represent Trump, maybe they won't get invited to the right cocktail parties and right. you know, get to schmooze with the right people. Right. So if people are shying away from representing Trump for whatever reason, and he's not getting top shelf talent, and he's got oh. these... Um, uh, I don't you know, know what to... I don't know really what the them. adjective is, yeah. but he's not being well served. No. And 
Let's look after the. He had after, strong legal counsel with Pat Cipollone, who seemed very, very strong. Yes, that's a good that, one. That, that's a White House. Um, but there are can be ramifications. Robert Shapiro talked about during the OJ trial, he'd walk into a restaurant and he would he refused the table if he would get up and walk out. Well, so, D- but Dershowitz I, I is not Dershowitz, getting invited yes. to the right parties anymore. Yeah, and Dershowitz right. might be a guy that would have been better for to be advising Trump mm-hmm. on this whole episode. But, you know, Trump listened to Rudy and to yeah, Sidney Powell, Powell oh, and he be- I guess he wanted to believe what they were saying to his yeah. historical detriment. That's going to go oh. terrible decisions, terrible legal advice. And it sounds like he wants to believe what these lawyers are telling him. And I think they're also leading him down the garden path and based on what we know today, the Solomon information in particular, adding to bad news for Trump this week, more and more, it looks like it's going to end badly for him. If, 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 I mean, clearly politically it's not going well and criminally it could certainly um, end badly. We don't know everything. We're speculating still. We haven't seen the affidavit, but you know, the FBI and the justice department are very good at leaking information drip by drip by drip and that's what they're doing here things are coming out of justice things are coming out of the fbi um you know they're the masters of leaking things to the media who will gobble it up and and regurgitate it um and none of it's helpful to trump's position certainly no and tim dunn um also this business that people need to understand christina bob apparently was the attorney that when they were at Mar-a-Lago on June 3rd, she signed off that this is this is it. There were no more classified documents. And instead, during the raid, apparently, they found 300 more. Um, people should not underestimate. Now, she may have said, that's what I was told. But as an officer of the court and you're an attorney, um, you tell me, it, it sounds like she could be in some legal trouble here. Well... If you are making the affidavit and that you are saying you have reviewed the available material and there's nothing more classified here, she can't now say, well, I didn't really see it. But if Donald Trump told me I believed it and I put it in an affidavit, um, if if that's the way it it played out, then she's toast in the long in the long run. Um, If it's an affidavit, which contains information, which is either false or you recklessly stated it in your affidavit without knowing whether it was true or false, either way, you're going to be in serious ethical uh, trouble. Uh, It appears that she was appearing in a court where she wasn't licensed to practice. I mean, I'm not licensed in Massachusetts. I never go to Massachusetts. I don't want to go to Massachusetts. I've got enough to do in Rhode Island. But, you know, on occasion, people will say, can you take a case it's in Massachusetts? No, I can't. No, right. you'll have to be referred elsewhere. So if this lawyer wants to be the big shot and be representing the, the president and hanging out at Mar-a-Lago, um, there's more to the practice of law than doing what she's done so far. And what she's done, she's not done very well. No. And John Solomon, I mean, when I saw the name, I was thinking, well, it can't be the John Solomon that I know because I've seen him at this broadcast. I'll see him if he's going next month in D.C. He owns a couple of radio stations. I've met him. He just kind of regurgitates. And again, I'm not he's not a bad guy. We kind of regurgitates like the Mike Flynn talking points. If I was looking to send someone in to maybe get a couple of car dealerships to come on and do some sponsorships, he's my guy. There's no way of having that guy. This is who they have feeling. With the, with the FBI and the DOJ. I mean, yeah. I, I, it is just mind-baffling to me. I, I don't get it. I really don't, Tim Dodd. But I want people to understand, you know, at some point, all this business of, you know, deep state and almost, hey, well, I, you know, if I walked out with it, it's classified. He, he's, he's, there are laws. And there's certainly protocols. And, you know, you have people like John Bolton going after him and other people. And it doesn't, we still don't know who the informants are. But so far, Tim Dodd, you know, we're three weeks into this thing, and I, I don't, I don't see that it's been getting better. I, I, I think it's actually, you know, we're going to move on. But I, I think it's he's actually in a worse position now than when we first found out about the raid. 
And I agree with you on that. And, you know, this is for all the marbles. This is for all the marbles for his political future and all the marbles for avoiding criminal prosecution. So it's a twofer. If he wants to run for office again, and if he wants to avoid being indicted, this is for all the marbles. And it seems like he doesn't have the B team in there. He's got like the D team in there. And it doesn't make any sense. He's, you would presume, has the money to hire the best legal talent around. Um, and I'm sure there's top flight lawyers who would, uh, you know, represent him chasing a large fee. Um, but he's just not apparently getting that type of representation. And this is this is his biggest challenge. And he's coming into court and before the media without top top shelf people. It's just perplexing. And Tim, down one final note. I, I, I've met Don Jr. on more than one occasion. I've had him on the show. We had him with his book. For him to be telling an audience that it's not a bad thing if his father had the, the nuclear codes at Mar-a-Lago, you're the attorney. You tell me. I just don't see how that's helpful. It's not helpful. Um, you know, I think many people in the position of Don Jr. and Eric and Laura Trump you know, it's intoxicating to be on television. You get asked yeah. to come on. You know, you've, you're seen in restaurants. People know who you are. You've got a little bit of fame. This is a criminal investigation. Yeah. And what have I said many times if you're a target of this or if you know, people in your orbit know that you're a target, shut up. Yeah. Don't say anything. This is not the time to be spouting off in the media about what was there, what was not there, what right. the president thought it was, how it was classified. Yeah, This is not but, the time for this. See, they should hunker down and not say anything. Yeah, as difficult they, as it may be, yeah. you know, and you and I have talked about it, they're mistaking a legal problem for a PR problem. It's not a PR yes. problem. Yes, it's, that's it's exactly a legal right. Problem. And that's they, right. And they think that by going on with Hannity, they're going to undo the legal problem or not. Folks, quick break. Much more ahead. Speaking of Sean Hannity, we're going to talk about next right here with Tim Dodd, our legal expert on the John DePietro Show. The next time you have an emergency, head straight to AtMed Urgent Care. Two locations, 1524 Atwood Avenue, Suite 122 in Johnston, or East Greenwich 5750 Post Road. AtMed Urgent Care. Urgent health care facility providing comprehensive outpatient health care to individuals, families specializing in ambulatory medicine diagnostic treatment service at med urgent care they provide immunization school sports physicals they're a cost-efficient health care alternative to hospital-based emergencies they're open seven days a week walk-in routine urgent care minor surgical orthopedic and trauma work-related injuries physical exams drug testing full laboratory services and with AtMed Urgent Care, they offer mononuclear antibody infusions. You, someone in your family suffering from COVID, you want to go straight to AtMed Urgent Care. Two locations, Johnston, 1524 Atwood Avenue, Suite 122, or East Greenwich, 5750 Post Road, online at atmedurgentcare.net. We're speaking with our legal expert, it's attorney Tim Dodd. Tim, we're going to touch on some other stories. One of them is uh, Sean Hannity uh, is threatening legal action against uh, John Fetterman, lieutenant governor of Pennsylvania. And he is now the Democrat Senate candidate. He's in a Senate match, uh, a election against Dr. Oz. So, you know, he's the big, he's a big progressive. Um, and he's obviously a Democrat. And he has been using, apparently, Sean Hannity in a, in a fundraising mechanism so Hannity's upset about it and is threatening legal action now it's one thing maybe he doesn't want to ignore that he's doing it and maybe he feels just by meaning Sean Hannity spouting out about it he can kind of back them off a little bit but do you see any sense that he would have any legal mechanism against this Senate candidate Lieutenant Governor of Pennsylvania Fetterman from from you know using him either a commercial or for fundraising well Sean Hannity claims that all he's doing is reporting facts. So, uh, and I'm paraphrasing. If Hannity goes on a show and says, John Fetterman's policy position on such and such a topic is A, B, and C, 
And if that's his position, and if he's correctly reporting that Fetterman's position on a particular topic is A, B, and C, well, then he's stating accurate facts. Now, if he goes on the air and says Fetterman's for A, B, and C, you know, you got to be a good communist to come up with that kind of a, you know, if he starts to imply things like, oh, he's a communist, always a fascist, always a this, always a that. Or, you know, he's a liar because his position was this and now it's that. It depends the language that Hannity is using. Now, Hannity claims, I'm just reporting the facts. Fetterman, apparently, in some of his fundraising, fundraising material, says, you know, John, uh, he, he will say that Hannity lies about my record. He's on Fox News lying about my positions. He's a liar. He misrepresents my position. Now, if he's calling Hannity a liar and that he's misrepresenting his position and we can go to the transcripts of, the, of what Hannity says on TV and he's not lying mm. and Fetterman's calling him a liar, then Hannity would have a cause of action against wow. Fetterman for um, slander, for spoken word, or libel for written word. And if he has defamed Hannity by claiming that he lies on air, then Hannity could sue him for um, money damages. The question will be, did Hannity say the truth or was he misrepresenting? And how specifically did Fetterman suggest that Hannity's a liar and that he's misrepresenting Fetterman's positions and his records. Um, you know, you got to be careful with what words are used and how they are taken and what they mean and if they can be twisted. But as a legal concept, sure, Hannity could sue him. Oh. Tim Dodd, I want to go to the local story that Mayor Lord said he's, you know, put these bike lanes all over the city. I. I question the use for them. Um, very most of the time, you don't see anyone in them. Six six months of the year, you can't even ride a bike around here anyway. But the East Side and Hope Street, and I know some of those people, they're objecting. And you know, parking spots are a premium there, and they're not easy to come by. And sometimes you have to circle around to one to find one, and they're going to lose. I'm just wondering the East Side residents. Do, do they, could they maybe take legal action against the city and mayoral orders to try to stop these, stop these bike lanes? Well, I'm not sure if they have um, recourse legally. Um, I, some of the business owners who have been objecting said they were never on notice that any of this was going to happen. Like, wouldn't the, wouldn't the um, people in the surrounding area receive some notice of any public hearing before any body or board that this is being contemplated. Um, I think these business owners have a fair point. Um, you know, they're coming out of COVID. They've lost lots of business during COVID. Now they're getting on their feet. And this bike lane is going to um, take away parking. It's going to take, it's going to screw up traffic patterns. Um, I, I don't see where it's a win for the city to lose parking spaces, lose a travel lane to make way for uh, a bicycle lane. Um, Can they sue for money damages? Uh, I'm not sure that that's possible, John. Uh, I've seen where these bike lanes have gone in just anecdotally. There's, they did this on Empire Street over near the Providence Public Library. Yeah. And it's a mess. It's such it a mess. It's unbelievable. It is. Uh, it, it, everything is all screwed up. They've yeah. lost the lane. You can't park where you used to have really good parking. And to your point, I've never seen anyone using that bike lane. No. Never seen a soul on it. I know yeah. the mayor is a big bicycle enthusiast, and this is his, you know, this is his baby. This is his, his great um, brainstorm to put these bike lanes all over the place. It's not I, illegal. I think it's, I think I, it's a on, mistake. On Broad Street, you know, there's a lot of different stores that, you know, let's just say maybe someone says, I, I pull right up in front, I jump into the store, I jump, come right back out. I, I don't, I, I think it's a terrible detriment to, to, uh, to the local businesses. I'm just wondering if they had legal action to try to uh, recourse to try to stop that. Folks, again, we'll speak with our legal expert. He's attorney Tim Dodd. Excuse me. 
And Tim, this uh, what do you make of this story? Are Cuban migrants in the U.S. illegals? Uh, the Miami Herald had this story. Might be the wrong question. Boy, there's massive amounts of Cubans uh, in there. What, what, what is the, the crux of this story of whether or not are the Cuban migrants, are they are there illegals in the U.S.? Well, I didn't quite understand the message. This is out of the Miami Herald, the story that you're referring to. And I, I think there's disparate treatment. Um, you know, we've got people flooding the border over like the Texas border and the Arizona border. We don't know who's coming in. We don't know where they're from. We don't know anything. We don't know who's coming in, but they're all coming in. And as you know, gets reported frequently, they're getting free cell phones. They're getting flown around the country, bust around the country, uh, getting every social service imaginable. Meanwhile, people are trying to get out of Cuba and um, in many cases with being turned away, um, having a hard time getting in the country but if they do get in, you know, many times they have existing Cuban-American families here willing to help them, take them in, provide support for them, which is different than the folks coming over the border from Texas, Arizona, et cetera. Hmm. But in, in my view, if, you know, somebody comes over on a raft from Cuba and successfully gets to the States and gets on the mainland, they're still here illegally until they go through the immigration process. Um, I, I don't see that they should be identified any differently than folks who are flooding over the border through other states. So sure. I, I, I don't think they're entitled to a different designation or classification. Um, I, I read the same article you did, but I, I didn't see that they were entitled to any different status, candidly. Propane Plus in Rhode Island for all your propane needs. Call them 401-885-4209 in Massachusetts. You can reach them at 508-252-3359. Propane, heating and cooling, it's Propane Plus. Their team's been there three generations. They're available 24-7 for service and delivery, and they plan on serving you for a long time to come. They offer online billing, ability to schedule a service delivery at the click of a button, and remember, all customers receive a free safety inspection on their equipment. It's Propane Plus, and remember with propane, it's affordable, sustainable, equitable, good for the environment, and now it's renewable. Call Propane Plus today at 401 401- 885-4209 in Massachusetts call them at 508-252-3359 they're very easy to navigate website it's propaneplus.com propane plus call them 401-885-4209 folks again we're speaking with our legal expert it's attorney Tim Dodd Tim what about this whistleblower suit with Twitter well um the gentleman who's filed the whistleblower suit um, was the head of, um, I guess, electronic security, if you will, at Twitter. And he's been raising concerns that Twitter's security policies are insufficient. You know, they're insufficient to identify sham accounts, robo accounts, and other accounts which are not legitimate. Uh, he winds up getting fired. And, you know, he now brings this whistleblower lawsuit um, to bring out all of the things that he knows about what's going on at Twitter, um, which he knows everything about what's going on with the security systems at Twitter to regulate legitimate accounts versus phony accounts. Um, so he's brought this lawsuit. Now, whistleblower cases are a unique animal where the whistleblower, either while still employed or after being terminated, um, provides information typically to state or federal authorities, which would allow for prosecution for tax issues, criminal issues, things like that. So he's in the early stages. I, I think the most significant aspect of this whistleblower case, which does not bode well for Twitter is that Elon Musk is sitting there watching this whole thing unfold because he's, he's been suggesting that the count that Twitter's provided on the number of users that Twitter has legitimate users versus, you know, these sham accounts. Um, there's been a lot of question about that. And those questions 
would necessarily affect how much money Musk is willing to pay to acquire Twitter. This whistleblower case, John, I think serves um, Elon Musk's position because this guy is now going to come out with all of the dirt at Twitter, how they regulate, what their security is, how they differentiate between legitimate accounts and not legitimate accounts. Um, I think it's the type of information that Elon Musk is going to enjoy getting his hands on and that the folks at Twitter are going to be squirming even more now that this lawsuit's been filed. Um, this is the guy who can alert Musk and federal and state authorities about the shenanigans going on at Twitter and how they're manipulating data. Tim Dodd, final story. Uh, do you think, could there be legal action with President Biden, this whole business of the forgiveness of student loan debt? There's a lot of people said, hey, I saved my money. I paid those bills. Other people did not have to. What, why is it that so suddenly they have to, you know, they get the, the bills forgiven? Do you anticipate, is this the type of thing that could turn into some kind of legal action? I'm sure there'll be legal action. This is all breaking all very quickly. But yeah. my understanding is if only certain types of loans are going to be subject to this um, student loan forgiveness, um, if you go to Santander Bank and you need to borrow money for college because you're maxed out on what you could get, that type of borrowing would not be forgiven. It's got to be, I think, a federally funded, federally insured type of loan. And my understanding is that Congress some years ago um, passed legislation that gives the um, Department of Education the ability to forgive certain types of student loans. So when Joe Biden says that he's doing it through an executive order, I don't think an executive order from the president would be legally sufficient to cancel the debt that he's attempting to cancel. But I think the fallback position is this can be accomplished through the Department of Education, unfortunately. I think it's a dreadful, dreadful thing um, for any number of reasons. But certainly there'll be litigation, and I don't think this is at all what executive orders were ever intended for. Yeah, um, definitely not. Right. Folks, he is our legal expert. It's attorney Tim Dodd. Tim, excellent job as always, and we will talk to you again. Thanks, John. Take care. The Senadale Revival. Stop it and see them. Comfort food and cocktails. You're going to love the Senadale Revival. Located 2025 Smith Street, North Providence, right in Senadale, right across from North Providence Town Hall. Delicious food, delicious drinks, live entertainment on the weekends. Shane and his crew, they're waiting for you. A great time is going to be had by all at the Senadale Revival, 2025 Smith Street in North Providence. Folks, you're listening to the John DePietro Show. It's AM 1380, 99.9 FM. Joining us right now, his new book, Political Prisoner, Persecuted, Prosecuted, But Not Silenced, the one and only. Good morning. Welcome to the John DePietro Show. It's Paul Manafort. Good morning, Paul. Morning, John. Good to be with you today. First of all, congratulations on your book. Take us inside. Start off, first of all, what you have been through. This is a must-read. Uh, take us through how this book came together. Well, the, the reason I wrote the book was because when I was going through this crisis in uh, 2016 through 20, uh, I was uh, gagged. I had a gag on her I couldn't talk to the media. Then they put me in solitary confinement. Then they put me in prison. Uh, so the public never got to understand the story of the truth about what I personally was going through. But that wasn't the only reason. The, uh, the real reason I wrote the book was because I wanted to expose the deep state and the, and it, and the way in which they will go after not just me and not just the former president, but a, a you know, ordinary Americans as well, uh, because that's what they're doing now. So the book was driven by exposing the deep state, talking about the two-tiered system of justice, and using the whole Russia collusion hoax and the special counsel's abuse of my personal freedoms uh, to to tell the, the narrative. And I get, get into it in a lot of detail, actually. Um, Paul, within the book, uh, first of all, just number one, Obviously, your admiration, fondness for President Trump comes through. 
but there are some people in his orbit that you kind of talk about that did not have his best intentions at heart. Well, I, I didn't want to do too much of that in the book. There, there are a couple of points I had to at least raise the issue because it, it was affecting his campaign. And things that people thought about the president were not correct because of what, some of these actions. So I, I, I get into that a little bit. But I, I tried to keep, keep the personal stories away from the narrative that I was trying to tell. I, I do focus on, on Weissman and, and his abuses because he still is a danger to our freedoms uh, in any Biden administration, certainly. Uh, although I think he's so discredited by his tactics that yeah, it will take an abusive person to to bring him back into power. But it's possible. What was it? When did you realize and what was it about then candidate Donald Trump that you saw a winner and someone that would completely remake the landscape of our of our political system. Yeah, it's it's I, actually like, this is it's a good question. I get into this in some detail. I I, I had sort of dropped out of U.S. politics in the in, during the Obama years because I was frustrated by Republicans as well as Democrats campaigning on certain promises and then not delivering as soon as they get elected. Um, Trump's, that was Trump's message when he announced his candidacy that that he was going to drain the swamp and he was going to make keep his promises and he was going to focus the purposes of government and the tools of government on making people's lives better, which he did during his four years. But but that was a that was a new message that went right at the establishment. That got my attention, and and then and I talk about this in the book. My family's a, it's a blue collar family, but with a successful family business that's you know, in, in, in Connecticut. And my cousins, who are, you know, well-connected to current events, but never really called me and asked me questions on things, and all of a sudden, in 2015, they were calling me and asking me about Donald Trump and saying they really like what they're hearing, et cetera, et cetera. And I realized that his message was re- was resonating outside of the Beltway. And uh, so I started paying attention. Roger Stone, who was helping organize and and put the strategy in for Stone's camp, for Trump's campaign as a former partner of mine. And Roger was telling me, you need to pay attention because this is Trump's time. And and, and it, 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 I did pay attention, and I recognized all that. I saw that he really had captured lightning in a bottle. And, uh, uh, and that sincerity came through in his campaign appearances and, and rallies. And and there's other reasons why his support just can seem to keep growing. Uh, so when the opportunity came for me to get involved in his campaign, you know, I was totally committed to it. Folks, again, we speak with Paul Manafort's new book, Political Prisoner, Persecuted, Prosecuted, Not Silenced. Paul, I just want to ask you a couple people, just rattle off some names and whatever you want to tell us. Let's start off with Mike Lindell. Well, I mean, I became a big fan of his listening to... Uh, listening to him, and not just uh, at his commercials, but you know, some of the things I, I read about him, his speeches. Uh, when you're in prison in the, the last year, you know, the year I was in the general population, I got to watch television, I started getting exposed to Mike Lindell, and uh, I was impressed with him. What about Michael Cohen, President Trump's former attorney? <sighs> Michael was always looking for a purpose uh, in, within the Trump campaign, and he was very frustrated because he, he wasn't a political person. Uh, and I think that led to some of his estrangement with Trump. But uh, again, I don't get into that in the book because sure. it's not germane to the story that I'm talking about. Are you surprised? What is your? What can you tell us about the raid on Mar-a-Lago? Well, <laughs> they, uh, it's, it's everything you need to know about how fear, fearful they are that he's going to run for president. Um, and it tells you everything you need to know about how little they understand Donald Trump. Because if they fear him and do something like that, all they're doing is getting him more motivated. Uh, it's it's a risk. This this is a true risk to our democracy. What they did, going after your political opponents and including your future political opponent, probably, uh, is third world banana republic kind of activity. It's not what a mature democracy or the leading democracy in the world should ever be demonstrating to the world. And the example I use is Donald Trump himself. During the Trump 2016 campaign, one of the campaign slogans was lock her up, meaning Hillary Clinton for the 
the server crimes that she committed. Sure. Yeah, yeah. When Trump became president, he didn't use the tools of his authority to go after her. That's right. Because he recognized the untowardness that would that would signal uh, to the world about our democracy. So when Biden talks about being the great uniter and how he's going to come in and bring the country together and restore justice, does something like this, it shows how much he's either disconnected from the reality or his own truths, uh, but it also shows that he really doesn't have the motivations that he talks about, and the American people get it. That's why in less than one year, his support has totally evaporated. They, they see the effects, his changes of Trump's policies have had on the people's lives, and they're now starting to recognize, and I think this event, this raid last week, will, will accelerate it. They see the risk to their constitutional rights that this the Biden administration represents. Everything from parents being called domestic terrorists for going to school board meetings, to victims being called the problem, not the criminals, to, uh, to people living on the border being told that they need to just accept the illegal immigration coming in, et cetera, et cetera. And the point is that Biden's who makes a president, who is who, who is president makes a difference. If people see that, and Trump is looking better every day in that light. Folks, again, we're speaking with Paul Manafort. Paul, I'm going to let you go in a moment. Just two more quick questions. Number one, if you don't mind, did you ever think that morning, you know, I mean, what you went through, them coming into your home that way, uh, it, it just sounds like it was just like a total nightmare that you went through. And, and But the point about it, it was so heavy-handed, it doesn't seem to seem to that needed to happen. I, I interviewed Peter Navarro. I mean, he, he could look out his window and see the FBI office. He was literally boarding a plane. They took him out of the line. I mean, leg irons. It, it's just... It's just such the heavy-handedness of it. But what you went through, I think, was even more dramatic. It's 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 intimidation with a purpose by the by the FBI and the, and the weaponized Justice Department. I mean, what what was worse? It's gotten lost in the details. You know, they knocked on Stone's door and got him out. You know, at a ridiculous hour with CNN filming it. Uh, and my, I lived in a condominium. I was on the fourth floor. They not only came up to the fourth floor, my bedroom was on the far end of the of the apartment. They entered my apartment at, in pre-dawn, walked the corners, gun drawn, and opened my bedroom door. You know, now, for all I knew, they, they claimed they were the FBI. They could have been the Russians. They right. could have been criminals. I didn't know what it was. And my wife and I were, were asleep. I had just wakened. And, and they were rude. They were intimidating. But that's what they were meant to be. And that's... Again, a third world tactic. That doesn't belong in our country. I had just spent several days that week, you know, uh, cooperating with the Senate and the House Intelligence Committee for information they wanted. So they were not having any problems with me. Hmm. But uh, like with Trump, they were after, it was a fishing expedition uh, for them to come after me because, again, they weren't looking at me. I was a means to their end. They wanted to get whatever they could on me, and, and they never could. They just made stuff up in the end to get me to turn on Trump, which I wouldn't do. Folks, again, it is a must-read book, Political Prisoner, Persecuted, Prosecuted, Not Silenced, the one and only Paul Manafort. Paul, again, congratulations on the book. Uh, a lot of people, you're getting a lot of people's attention. It's an, uh, great to speak to you, and we'll talk to you again. Thank you, John.